0: In this recording, we're going to analyze one of Rab Chaim's central conceptual ideas in the mitzvah of challah. And this is an important idea which at least three of the pieces in Chidush Rabbeinu Uchaim HaLevi touch on. So even though in general, I try to add in at the end of each piece, some of the later discussion around Rab Chaim's ideas in that piece. But this was a little bit more difficult because he touches on it in a few pieces, so it wasn't clear which piece to tack it onto, And also because it's so central, it's between the lines of a number of ideas in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Halevi, so it seemed like it warrants its own discussion. And this is an idea which is very central to many of the later contemporary svarim and discussions of challah. They keep coming back to this idea of Rab Chaim. So the basic idea of Rab Chaim can be said in one sentence, and that is that it's clear in Halacha that there's a minimum shear, a minimum measurement, which is necessary for the dough to be obligated in challah. And the Mishnah in challah, Be'ez Vav, lists this as Chameshes Revoim Kemach. Five-fourths of a kav, which was an ancient measurement of dough. So what we would call one and a quarter kavin. Now, the general way of understanding this is like any other mitzvah requires a minimum shear. So a lulav has to have a minimum amount. A shofar has to have a minimum measurement. So in the same way, the mitzvah of challah has a halacha, that it requires a minimum measurement of five-fourths of a kav. Rab Chaim, though, innovated a very new idea, which is he said there is no she'er in the mitzvah of challah, but the she'er is in the isa. In other words, the mitzvah of challah is obligatory on dough, and it's not considered dough unless it has that minimum measurement. So the halachic measurement is necessary in order to create the case where there is dough. Less than that measurement is not considered isa. It's just a little pile of dough sitting there. But in order to meet the Torah's case, where there is an Isa, a measurement of dough, so it requires that one and a quarter coven. And then the mitzvah of challah kicks in. But again, the measurement is just to create the context to create the situation where there is Isa in order to take off the challah. The measurement is not in the mitzvah itself. Now, Rab Chaim makes a similar point in the last piece in Hilcho Shabbos, in Parak Yud Zayin, where he says that the walls of an Eruv don't have a minimum measurement. They just need to be a wall. In other words, the measurements in halacha are not a halachic requirement, but rather the halacha is that there has to be a wall in order to create an Eruv. And the halachic definition of a wall includes a certain measurement. And at the end of that recording we quoted from the Chuvash Shev Yaakov that he applies the same idea to the Hanukkah candles, that there is no measurement in how much oil there has to be in the Hanukkah candles. It just has to burn for a certain amount of time, which requires a certain amount of oil. So the measurement is not in the mitzvah of the Hanukkah candles, the measurement is in what it means to be a candle, which has a minimum amount of time that it needs to burn for. So we see this idea with regards to other mitzvahs that the measurement is more in the physical creation of the context within which the mitzvah operates and not in the mitzvah itself. So there is no measurement in the mitzvah of Eruv or Hanukkah lighting, but there is a measurement in the definition of a wall or a candle. So in the same way, Rabbi Chaim is saying, there is no measurement in the mitzvah of challah, but there is a minimum measurement in order to be considered dough, and that's necessary for the mitzvah of challah to take effect. Now Rab Chaim references this idea in three of the pieces in Chidusha, Abenu Chaim Halevi, a little differently each time, but each contributes different facets to the overall. Understanding of this concept. In the second piece of Hilchoschemitzum Matzah, Pereg Vav Vavhala Khahei, hey, Rab Chaim is discussing the issue of combining rice flour with wheat flour in order to fulfill the mitzvah of matzah so in the midst of that discussion, he makes a central distinction between the mitzvah of matzah and the mitzvah of chalah, which is when it comes to the mitzvah of matzah the minimum shear is in the mitzvah itself. In other words, matzah requires a minimum amount in order to fulfill the mitzvah. As opposed to challah, where Rab Chaim says that it's totally different because there is no shear in the mitzvah, the shear is only necessary in order to create the isa. But if there would be an isa, it would all be chayiv, even if not every part of the isa was chayiv. So that's why Rab Chaim believes that rice flour will contribute to the shear with regards to challah, because even though it's not obligated in challah, but it does join the wheat flour to create an isa. So that means there's a shear of an Isa even if not all of that dough is obligated in challah, but once there is an isa, it becomes obligated in challah, as opposed to with regards to matzah, where rice flour will not contribute to the shear because the mitzvah has to be done from wheat flour. It doesn't matter if there's a large volume of matzah if it's not the proper material to be used in the mitzvah. So this key distinction between challah and matzah is going to differentiate whether rice flour can contribute to the shear of challah versus matzah. Now, Rabheim Chaim has a proof to this idea in the parentheses in this piece, which we'll come back to in a minute. But I first want to survey the other two pieces where he alludes to this idea. In the third piece in Hilchus Bikur and Perig Vav Halachi Yates, Rab Chaim is discussing the issue of someone who makes dough with the intention of splitting it later, so it's not going to have the proper shear when it's cooked. And he says that both the Rambam and the Ravid would theoretically agree that it's exempt from challah right now, although the Ravid has a separate concern that they might change their mind. But Rab Chaim wants to understand why is it that dough, which is going to be split up later on during the cooking process into smaller amounts, is exempt from challah, and he suggests that maybe it's because we view it as if it's already split. Kol ha'omed kechaluk dummy. If it's going to be split up later, it's as if it's already split up now when it was made into dough. So it's lacking the basic shear. But Rabbi Chaim dismisses that idea for two reasons. First of all, because it's clear in the Ushalmi that if they plan to split up the bread after it's been cooked, then they're certainly obligated. But according to the idea that if it's going to be split later on, it's as if it's split right now, what difference does it make if they're going to split it before it's cooked or after it's cooked? And the second problem is that the rived indicates that someone could take challah right now and they'll be exempt even if eventually they don't end up splitting the bread. So at that point it becomes obligated, mida oraisa. but the challah they took earlier on when they were still planning on splitting it up still exempts them at that point when it becomes obligated, mida oraisa. So if it's considered as if it's totally split, then the halacha is you can't take challah from dough which is missing the shear. So because of these two arguments Rebbe Chaim believes it cannot be that it's considered as if it's already split and it's lacking the shear. So instead he explains it in a different approach which is that it's not going to become lechem because since the person is planning on splitting it before they cook it so it's never going to meet that halachic definition of lechem and any isa which is not going to turn into lechem is not obligated So that's the way Rab Chaim explains this halacha because there's something missing in the definition of Isa because this is not headed towards becoming lechem, which is the general requirement for an Isa. Now in the formulation of this concept, Rab Chaim believes that there's a subtle difference between the rivet and the rambam and that is according to the rambam, an Isa which won't become lechem is exempt from chala. That's an essential halacha. Whereas, according to the Rivid, an Isa, which is going to be missing the Shior when it's cooked into Lechem, is as if it's missing a Shior right now. So it's not an essential exemption, but it's reflective of the missing a Shior exemption. It's the same exemption because eventually, when it's cooked into bread, it's going to be missing the Shior. Either way, what's clear in this Rab Chaim is that the concept of Isa has certain halachic definitions. Part of which is that it has to become lechem, and it has to become lechem in a way which has the proper shear. If it's missing that end of the process, so then it's exempt even earlier on, because it doesn't meet the criteria for becoming an isa, which is obligated in challah. So this is a little bit of a different formulation, but as we'll see later on, it's very much related to Rabheim's Chaim's overall concept on this. And the third piece where he alludes to it is in the fifth and final piece in Hilchos Bikur in Perek Yud Dalid, where he's differentiating between the mitzvah of Chala versus Reishis HaGez, the first shearings of wool which go to the Kohen. And Rabbi Chaim argues that Reishis HaGez is a mitzvah, an obligation on the farmer himself. And therefore the equivalent shear, the basic measurement, is also measured from this farmer's whole collection of wool, as opposed to challah, where the obligation is in the dough, it's on the chefzah, the object of the ISA. so therefore the sheer is also measured within the dough itself, we don't combine this whole person's dough collection. So even though this is a more extreme formulation of this idea, because he's saying that the whole chiyuv takes effect on the dough itself, but a major part of what leads Rab Chaim to that conclusion is because the measurement is within the dough. It's not a measurement in the mitzvah. The measurement is to create the concept of an isa, so that implies that the mitzvah is coming from the isa itself. So in these three pieces, Rab Chaim explores various aspects of this idea, and it seems to be a concept which hovers in the background of his view and perspective on Hilchoschala. And it's certainly central to later contemporary Svarim Ankhala because they discuss and analyze this idea at some length. And we'll take one example from the Torah's Zroim by Reb Arya Pomeranchik, a very close student of Reb Chaim's son, Reb Velvel. So he uses this idea to explain the Mishnah in Chala, Paragbe's Mishnah Dalet, where it says that if someone makes a kav of chala, so less than the required shear, they're exempt from chala unless it combines with another amount of dough. And Rabbi Eliezer says, even if it combines after it's cooked in the basket. So someone made a bunch of rolls, each of which was less than the required shear, and then they threw them all in a basket together. So they become obligated in challah at that point. So the Torah Zorayim wonders, how could there be an obligation of challah after it's cooked? When at the moment when it was made into dough, it was exempt. The parallel would be with regards to meiser, that produce which is completed and is exempt is exempt forever. So in the same way, once the woman made the dough and it was exempt from challah, it should be exempt forever, even if she combines it and creates a shear after it's cooked. Because at the main milestone, when the obligation begins, it was exempt. So the Torah Zorayim explains, based on Rabbi Chaim's idea, that the shiur is not in the mitzvah. The shiur is in the isa. So therefore, when she made dough and it was missing the minimum shiur, it's not that there was an exemption, but there was no isa. It was missing the whole context within which the laws of challah would apply. The obligation of challah didn't begin in this case, because challah only applies on an isa. And in this situation, there was no Issa. So that's why there was no obligation of challah. But there was no actual exemption. So says the Torah Zroim, this is going to explain Rabbi Eliezer's position that once she cooks the dough and combines it, it does become obligated because based on the idea that when there's no real exemption, it's not a permanent exemption, which is something Rab Chaim discussed in the third piece of Hilchos Bikurim himself, so if that's the case, there was no actual exemption here. There was just no Isa, so there was no obligation. But once she bakes the dough into rolls and combines them all in the basket, then there is a shear. so therefore there could be an obligation. So Rab Chaim's formulation is going to make sense of this halacha, because Rab Chaim saying that when there is no shear, it's not that there's an active exemption. Meaning the Torah said that such an Isa is not obligated in challah, But it's that there is no Isa, so there's no case within which the Torah would legislate taking challah. So this is an example of how important Rabbi Chaim's idea is, and it can answer other questions in challah. Now, as an interesting, just historical side note about the Torah Zraim's reference to this idea, is that very often the Torah Zraim will quote things from Rab Chaim that he heard directly from the brisker Rab. So he had an oral tradition of Rab Chaim's ideas. But this concept of Rab Chaim, which he formulates very sharply, it's one of the best formulations, he references twice in his commentary on the Mishnah Chala, one in the piece we just looked at in Perik Be'ez Mishnah Dalit, and then again later in Perik Gimel Mishnah Hay, and both times he references that he saw it in Rab Chaim's writings. So he hadn't heard it from the Briskarov, but he seems to have found it in something Rab Chaim wrote. Now, interestingly enough, in the second piece, Paragimal Gimel Mishnah Hay, he also quotes a version of the ideas Rab Chaim discusses in the third piece in Hilchus Bikurim, but he himself says that it's a very early version, And later on, when Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi came out, he saw that what we have is a much more developed version of Rabbe Chaim's ideas. He added a lot to it. And what the Torah Z'raim had heard was only an early iteration of Rabbe Chaim's ideas on that issue. So it's interesting to see some of the development of Rabbe Chaim's Torah and how it spread even to some of his close Talmidim. It took a while for many of his ideas and some of his final formulations to get to them. Now, back to Rab Chaim's idea, so we've seen where it's rooted in Chidusha beno Chaim HaLevi, and that the Torah Z'raim formulates it very sharply. Now, the Chazon Ish was opposed to this idea, and in his comments and criticism of Chidusha beno Chaim HaLevi, so a few times he alludes to the fact that he has a different perspective, and he understands that the Shir of Chala is the regular understanding that it's in the mitzvah of Chala and not in the object of the Issa. So the first place where he questions Rabheim's Chaim's views on this is with regards to Rabheim's Chaim's proof to this whole concept which is in his piece in El Chuscha Rab Chaim quotes from the Ushalmi and Chala Perak Dalid, which is also in the Tosefta, Chala, Perak Be'ez, Halacha Gimel. It rules that in a case where someone has wheat flour and barley flour and spelt flour. So the wheat and the barley don't combine together in order to create a combined shear because they're considered two different species. They're two different from each other in order to combine together. But the spelt could combine with either of them because it's considered more similar to both the wheat and the barley. So the halacha that the Ushalmi says is that if there's a chatzi kav, there's only half a kav of wheat and half a kav of barley and half a kav of spelt. So altogether, there's one and a half kav, which is going to be obligated, but you would need to combine all three species together in order to create the one and a quarter kav minimum shear. So the rule is that they do combine, but you have to take the challah from the spelt because that's where they all meet. You can't take it from the wheat or the barley because those two don't combine with each other. But the spelt is the great equalizer which brings them together. So the spelt creates the combination of the challah and therefore you have to take the challah from the spelt. So Rab Chaim points out that in this case the wheat and the barley sections are not obligated in challah because they each have only a half a kav, and they combine with the half a kav of spelt. So that's one kav, but you need one and a quarter kav. So the wheat alone and the barley alone are both exempt. But since the spelt creates the isa with the other two, so even though those sections of the isa are exempt, the whole isa has a shiur and therefore it's obligated. So this is Rab Chaim's proof for his idea that the shiur is in the isa, not in the mitzvah. Because in that case of the tosefta, two-thirds of the dough are not totally obligated because they didn't fully combine. It's only through the combination of the spelt that the Isa is created. So that shows that the shear of the Isa is in the dough, not in the mitzvah, because even though some of this Isa is not obligated, still the Isa as a whole is obligated because it has a shear. And from there, Abchaim extrapolates that in the case where part of the dough is rice flour, it would also be obligated, even though the rice itself is not obligated in chala, because it creates the shear of an Isa together with the wheat flour. Now, this is a somewhat controversial proof from Rab Chaim because it's based on an assumption that when the wheat and the barley and the spelt are combined, the wheat and the barley remain putter, only the spelt is obligated because it's combined with the other two. And some question Rab Chaim because maybe once they're all combined, the wheat and the barley are also chayiv and challah. And that would throw off his whole proof because it would then mean that the entire isa every part of it is obligated in the mitzvah of challah. So, Rab Chaim has to assume that the wheat and the barley, because they don't combine with each other, are not obligated even at the end of the day when the Isa is obligated. So, that's one of the big discussions about this proof of Rab Chaim. It's worth noting that Rab Chaim's son, the Briskarov, in his Chidushim on Beis, where Tosus quotes this Tosefta. So, he quotes Rab Chaim's proof to this idea. And another student of Rab Chaim, Rab Elchanan in his Kovitz Shurim Aleph on Psachim Gimel. So he quotes this proof without quoting Rab Chaim. So maybe he heard it and forgot, or maybe he came up with it on his own. So the Briskorov and Rebel Hanan are in agreement with Rab Chaim about how to read this. And people point to one of the Rishonim, the Rash Mishants, in his commentary on Klaim, on the first Mishnah. He has an important discussion about this Tosefta. And at the end, he writes explicitly that at the end of the day, the Kusmin, the spelt is obligated but the wheat and the barley are still putter so that's like Rab Chaim's assumption that the wheat and the barley are putter but the Issa as a whole is still chayev so it would be based on the Rashmi Shantz's formulation of this halacha there are other Rishonim though that seem to imply that once the wheat spelt and barley are combined then the wheat and the barley also become chayev so this is an important issue to understanding Rab Chaim's proof to his overall concept and it may very well Well, be a machlokas rishonim, depending on the nuanced formulations they use. With regard to the halacha of the Tosefta And whether the wheat and the barley are chayiv Once they're combined with the spelt But I want to move to the Chazon Isha's more sustained criticism Of this idea in Rab Chaim In his comments on Chiddush Rabbeinu Chaim Halevi and Hilchos Hametzu Matza So he poses a different question on Rab Chaim's proof And that is, he says you can't compare The case of wheat and barley to rice because wheat and barley are fundamentally obligated in challah. If there was a shear, then those two species would be obligated in the mitzvah of challah. In this case, the reason why they're not obligated is because they're missing the shear. But there's nothing intrinsic or inherently putter about wheat and barley. As opposed to rice, which is inherently putter, it's never included in the mitzvah of challah. So the Chazonish asks a very strong question, that you can't compare the case of the Tosefta, where the Isa is made up of three species, each of which is inherently included in the mitzvah of challah, even if in this case they don't have a shear. but that makes sense that that dough should be obligated in challah. But you can't compare that to a case of rice, where it's not in the mitzvah of challah at all, so it can't contribute to the overall Isa in order to be obligated in challah. So that's the Chazun Isha's question. And again, that would lead to the perspective that there is a shear in the mitzvah. Challah can only be taken from dough, which meets the shear of the mitzvah. As opposed to Rab Chaim's idea that it's sort of a physical shear. that in order to be called dough in halacha, it has to have a certain measurement. And the proof from the Tosefta, the Chazon Ish, would counter that that's only because all of those species are inherently obligated in challah. Just in this case, they're missing the shear. So once they're put together, that's considered a sufficient shear, and they're all obligated. So, in the Chazonish's question on the piece in Hilchus HaMetsu Matza, their perspectives are already differing, but where it becomes even more pronounced is in the third piece of Bikurim, where the Chazonish has a few sustained questions on Reb Chaim's views, and they diverge pretty drastically. Reb Chaim argues strongly against the idea of Kola Omed Lechalek Kechaluk Dami, that if the dough is going to be split later on, it's as if it was split when it was first made into dough. And And we reviewed Rab Chaim's questions on that earlier. Now, the Chazon Ish argues strongly in favor of that view because he has a counter-question against Rab Chaim's proposal. Rab Chaim thinks that it's a din in the Isa, that if it's not going to become Lechem, or it's not going to have a shear of Lechem, so then it's not obligated in challah, even when it's in Isa. But the Chazon Ish asks that there's no Shior in Lechem. The whole Halacha that there has to be a minimum Shior is only said with reference to the Isa. But once it's cooked, it's irrelevant if it's one huge loaf or many small rolls. It doesn't matter with regards to the halacha. So how could you say that that's not called lechen? That's the Chazanisha's very powerful question. Meaning, if someone were to say that the Isa had the full shiur, and then it was split up and cooked into loaves which did not have the shear. That would be halachically irrelevant because the moment which is defining the moment which requires a shear is when it becomes an Isa. So how can Rab Chaim say that it was a full Isa because it's not as if it's split? But since later on it's going to be split, so it doesn't meet the criteria of lechem. That doesn't seem to follow because there is no shear in the lechem. So because of that the Chazonish argues that you have to say kola omed lekhaleh khaluk that since it's going to be split later on that means that it's split right now and it doesn't even have the shear at this moment when it's an isa again because if it did have the shear when it was an isa then there's no way to exempt this dough even if it gets split later on because the lechem doesn't require a shear So how can Rab Chaim suggest that it does require a shear even when it's lechem, otherwise the isa doesn't become obligated? This is a very strong question from the Chazon Ish, and that's what leads him to accept the idea that Rab Chaim rejected. Now, part of Rab Chaim's question on the Kol Homed Lechalek view is that the Rivid says the woman could take challah off even when it's dough, and she's planning on splitting it up. And then even if she changes her mind later on and cooks it together, that challah is still valid. So Rab Chaim says it can't be that it's missing a shear; otherwise the challah wouldn't be valid. So the Chazonish has two points against this and he thinks this whole analysis is incorrect. First of all, he differs on Rab Chaim's assumptions with regards to the raibin. Because Rab Chaim assumes that a housewife is certain that she's going to split up her roles. That's different than a baker who never knows whether he's going to end up selling it to a bunch of customers or cook it as a large loaf. So when it comes to a baker, we're never sure if his intention to split it up is actually going to happen. So he's always obligated in challah. But a housewife, Rab Chaim writes explicitly, is going to be able to split it up because she's not selling it to other people. So when she decides to split it up, it's much more serious. And that's why it's not obligated to until she actually changes her mind and decides to cook it all at once. So the Chazonish argues with this basic assumption. And he says that the Rivid's reading of the Mishnah is that a baker and a housewife are the exact same. Both of them are not entirely sure how they're going to do it. In other words, when someone decides to make a huge amount of dough and split it up for baking, that's never a certain decision. They might always change their mind. So both a baker and a housewife have the same status in halacha, that even when they're planning to split it up, they're obligated raisa because we never really believe that their intention is going to happen. So if that's the case, that changes the whole analysis. And Rab Chaim's whole argument in the Ra'vid that at first the housewife is exempt Mida O'Raisa, but she could still take off Khala is not even correct because the housewife, the same as the baker, is always obligated, even Mida raisa because nobody's ever sure what their plans are going to be. So this is just an interesting debate between Rab Chaim and the Chazon Ish. Rab Chaim holds that when a housewife makes a lot of dough, planning to cook it separately in smaller batches, we believe that intention, we don't assume that she's going to change her mind, whereas the Chazonish thinks it's an open question, maybe she's going to change her mind and cook one large loaf, or maybe she is going to carry it out and cook it as smaller rolls. And then the Chazonish makes the second point against Rab Chaim, and he argues that this whole notion that someone could take challah off, even when they're not obligated, seems very strange, because the Torah said, ariso seichem, that your dough is obligated in challah. But if someone is not obligated, how can they possibly fulfill the mitzvah of challah? In other words, Rab Chaim has this middle category where they're not obligated yet, but they could still do the mitzvah, and the chazunish says that can't be. In order to do the mitzvah of challah, you have to be obligated. If you're putter from challah, you can't take off challah. So that's the Chazon Isha's question. Now there is a related concept with regard to Meiser that Rab Chaim discusses at length, which is before the produce is completed, one can take Meiser even though they're not obligated. But that's a different, because that produce is still becoming obligated. So in that step of the process, it's not obligated yet, but one can take off meiser, as opposed to this dough, which is exempt because she's planning on splitting it up. So the ish has a valid question. How can you even take off challah at that point? Now, what is Rab Chaim's answer to these questions of the ish? So leaving aside this last issue of how to interpret the rivid and whether the case of a housewife who's planning on splitting her loaves is different from a baker and whether someone can take challah before they become obligated... So just focusing on the first question we mentioned from the Chazon Ish, which is a very powerful one. How can Rab Chaim say that the dough is exempt from challah if it's going to be cooked as lechem without a shear, when there is no halacha of a shior with regards to the lechem? So this seems clearly to reflect Rab Chaim's perspective as opposed to the Chazon Ish, because Rab Chaim holds that the shear is in the Isa. So part of becoming an Isa is that it has a she'er and that it's going to turn into lechem. That's the whole concept of dough, that it then becomes lechem. So that's exactly what Rabhaim's Chaim is saying, that if it's missing part of the process, in other words, it doesn't have the proper measurement, or it's not going to get the status of Lechem later on, so then that impacts the Isa itself, meaning you don't have an Isa which is obligated in challah. Now, there's a lot to discuss about whether that's an inherent actual exemption, or it's just that it hasn't become obligated because it doesn't have the proper context to be obligated in challah, but it's not an actual exemption. But just to try to make sense of this on a basic level, Reb Chaim's perspective that we've been discussing seems to explain his view in this piece also that the Isa is affected by whether or not it becomes lechem. Meaning it's not that there's a Shi'or in the lechem, but there's a Shi'or in the whole story. The Torah is saying that Isa, which has a certain halachic definition, which is then going to become lechem, is obligated in the mitzvah of challah. But if it's missing part of the description, the way the story is in the Torah, so then it's not obligated in Chala. So Reb Chaim would make sense, whereas the Chazon Ishu holds that the shior is a regular halacha in the mitzvah of Chala itself, so he understands it to be a more technical concept that only applies to the Isa, it has nothing to do with the Lechem. So he validly asks, according to his perspective, why is Rab Chaim applying a Halacha that's relevant for Isa to the later step of Lechem? So I think this would be one way to make sense of how Rab Chaim and the Chazon Isha's debate continues over these two pieces. And it leads the Chazon Ish to an entirely different reading of the issue of Do, which is going to be split up later, then Reb view. And I'll end with one reference. In the Otsum of Arshia Talmud on Masech Chala, Perak Aleph, Mishnah Zayin, they go through at some length this piece from Reb Chaim and comment on different aspects of it. And in footnote 37, they bring a number of authorities, including some Rishonim that have this type of language. And also the Chalas Lechem and the Gidule Hekdish, and they all hold, like the Chazon Ish, that the basis of this Halacha is called Haomed Lechalik So the Chazon Ish is in good company on this issue. But again, of course, Rab Chaim has a whole different view of that Halachic concept.